Our scripture reading this morning is often read at weddings, but our theme today is love. And so we want to listen to these love is verses from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Well, thank you, Christine, for putting that together. And thanks to all of our kids here, of course. And uh, we do love you, moms. And our topic today, we are entering back into the Gospel of John today, and our topic is love. But a very special kind of love. It's a just as Jesus kind of love. And at the end of my sermon today, we're going to have some sharing about this kind of love. So as we enter into our text, let's pray. Well, Father, you are the great lover. We thank you that you do love us. And because you love us, we can love others. So as we enter into your word today, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart through your spirit and see your great love for us and uh, learn how to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in John 13. And uh, we began John 13 two weeks ago, if you remember. I know that is like forever ago, but we uh, began John 13. And uh, to set the context again, Jesus has gathered his disciples in an upper room in downtown Jerusalem the night before going to the cross. That's the context. And he wants to give them one final teaching. Now, do you remember how he began that night? According to John, he began that night with washing his disciples' feet. So that's what we looked at last uh, two weeks ago, the beginning of chapter 13. It's, It's an astonishing way to begin this final teaching. And as we talked about this two weeks ago, we we noticed that in this act, Jesus defines lordship. Lordship means service. And it is in his corresponding words to that act, Jesus also defines discipleship. As Jesus served his disciples, so now they should go and serve others. As we said, our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe Jesus. We owe Jesus a massive debt, and we repay that debt by serving our neighbor. That is to be people of the Tao. That's what we said two weeks ago. 
Now in today's text, Jesus will explain this mission even more, but he will now express it in the language of love. He'll give us a new commandment today. And what is astonishing about this text is that all of this happens in the context of heart-wrenching rejection. So I invite you into our text, beginning in chapter 13, verse 21. So after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Well, of course, da Vinci's famous painting is one rendering of this scene. But Jesus begins the scene by being troubled. Why is he troubled? Well, he knows that one of his closest friends will betray him. And he's troubled. So for the third time in this chapter alone, we get um, reference to Judas' betrayal, to Judas' rejection. We're also introduced here to the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is sitting right next to Jesus. Now the traditional view is that John, the writer of this gospel, is in fact the disciple whom Jesus loved. But there is much debate about that, and so there are a bunch of books written about who this disciple is. But maybe that's not the point. Jesus loves his own and will love them to the end. John told us that in verse 1 of this chapter. Jesus is the great lover. Therefore, we all can say that we are disciples whom Jesus loves. So maybe it's not as important to name who this disciple is as to identify with him as being in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Now because the disciple whom Jesus loved is in a seat of honor, he can easily speak to Jesus. And he can easily do it privately. And so it seems Peter, who is farther away, gets this disciple to ask Jesus who the betrayer is. Maybe, in, maybe privately, Jesus then takes some bread and serves it to Judas. Now, since we know the end of the story, it seems obvious what's happening here. <laughs> but on that night, no one besides Jesus knows what is happening 
ignorance and confusion reign on that night for the disciples, which is probably a good thing because if Peter would have known what Judas was going to do, <laughs> Peter probably would have killed him. But it's generally assumed that Judas has also been placed in a seat of honor on the other side of Jesus, opposite the, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Now, if this is the case, then Jesus can easily serve Judas the bread. Regardless of how this all happens, Jesus serving bread to Judas can be seen as another instance of his extraordinary love. And this time to the most despised character of the story. Jesus serves Judas bread. It's an act of love. It's an act of friendship. This is love's last appeal for Judas. Judas in turn receives the bread and Jesus' command to go quickly. So he does. He leaves quickly. Notice that Judas, even under the control of Satan, does what Jesus says. Who's in control of this situation? Jesus is. Now, if you know anything about meals in the ancient world, you'll know that this is about the worst thing you could possibly do. When you share a meal with someone in the ancient world, it means friendship. It means intimate relationship. So a betrayal of someone after a shared meal is about the most despicable act anyone could do. And Judas leaves. So let's reflect a bit on what has happened so far. Remember, two weeks ago in our foot washing study, we made the observation that the disciples enter that room that night um, discussing who would be the greatest in Jesus' coming kingdom. Remember that? They enter that room that night with imaginations alive, with dreams of, of palaces and crowns and thrones. They enter that room that night, the night before the cross, expecting Jesus to give them the battle plan for setting up a political kingdom, which means taking out the Romans. And then Jesus grabs a towel and a basin and he washes their feet. He washes all of their feet. He washes Judas's feet. He's the enemy. Would you have done that? <laughs> If you knew what was coming, would you have washed his feet? I don't think I would have. I would have just skipped him. <laughs> Jesus doesn't skip him. Jesus washes Judas' feet. Jesus turns everything upside down and inside out. His kingdom will come not by destroying the Romans. His kingdom will come by serving the Romans. His kingdom will come by serving enemies. It won't come by a sword. It will come with a towel and a basin. And I can imagine Judas looking at that towel and basin and saying in his mind, you have to be kidding me, Jesus. 
You have to be kidding me. This is the way we're going to destroy the Romans? Are you kidding me? This is not what I signed up for. I signed up to carry a sword, Jesus, to destroy the Romans. I will not serve them. I hate them. I'm out of here. And Judas, unable to come to terms with his upside-down, inside-out kingdom, leaves. And it was night. Judas chooses the night over the day. Satan had found a willing partner in Judas, and Judas walks away from the light of the world. So Jesus is rejected by Judas. The first of all of Jesus' closest friends rejecting him when he needs them most. And it turns out that we get another rejection prediction just a few verses later. So I'm going to skip to verses 36 to 38. We'll come back to the center text in a little bit. But I want to go to verse 36 where we get another rejection, uh, this time a prediction. So verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So prideful Peter, <laughs> foot in mouth Peter. <laughs> Peter questions Jesus. He questions Jesus' plan and he makes an impulsive promise. Perhaps he's still thinking he will be the greatest and he'll show it by laying down his life for Jesus. But Jesus tells him plainly, Peter, you'll reject me too. You'll deny me three times, even before the rooster crows tonight. And of course, we know that the prediction comes true. So Jesus was rejected. The Lord of glory, rejected by his closest friends. Have you ever felt rejected? I think we all can identify at some point with rejection. Jobs, teams, relationships. I think we've all been there. Perhaps you're in the middle of that kind of pain right now. Perhaps even as a mother. Well, Jesus felt that rejection pain that night, the night before the cross. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was abandoned and rejected by all. He certainly was, as Isaiah says, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected by mankind. 
I think this text can be a good reminder to us that we stand nearest the Lord not when we are triumphant, but when we are in our knee, on our knees in pain. Because we know he's been there. He's been there. He knows what it's like. Psalm says that the, um, the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and that he gathers all of our tears in a bottle. He sees us in our pain. We saw at the grave of Lazarus in chapter 11, Jesus weeping when we weep. He will eventually make everything right. He will eventually wipe every tear from every eye. But as Daryl Johnson says, as long as there are tears, Jesus, the foot-washing Lord, will cry them with us. Because he's been there. Now what is astonishing again is that in the midst of all this rejection, Jesus turns our attention, the disciples' attention, and our attention to love. Verse 31. This is the centerpiece of this text. When he, that's Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children... It's a tender term. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and I, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, now, with, with Judas' exit from the scene to do what he will do, the great moment of glorification will commence. As we have said all along, glory is this character word. And when will God's character be revealed most splendidly? At the cross. The cross is the revelation of the depth of God's love for us. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. The weekend that will change the world has begun. And the glory of God will shine forth most brilliantly at the cross. The horror and shame of that event reveal the extraordinary lengths God's love will go for you and me and the world. The cross is the supreme example of genuine love. And it will form the basis of the new commandment. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. Now in some ways... This goes beyond what God has ever said to his people. 
Up until this point in history, the highest level of love has been love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you, you make sure you have food, so you make sure your neighbor has food. You make sure you have shelter, you make sure your neighbor has shelter. You make sure you have clothing, you make sure your neighbor has clothing. And on and on it goes. But now, love one another just as I have loved you. We now have the standard and the example before us. Jesus has lived his entire life, giving his life away for us, culminating in the cross, so that we might live and enjoy the blessings of his kingdom forever. We're to love one another just as he loved us. By doing the same thing. By giving our lives away for others with the same kind of love. This is the new commandment. Love just as Jesus loved And Jesus says, this just as love is what marks us. It's what marks us as his followers. Love, just as he loved, is our defining mark. We give our lives away just as he gave his life away. Disciples of other lords and other gods are known by other things. Disciples of Jesus, the foot-washing Lord, are known by the way they love. If you belong to Jesus, this marks you. The mark of the old humanity is clamoring over one another for power and status. Clamoring over one another to get to the top. Clamoring over one another to be a great one. The mark of the new humanity of followers of the foot-washing Lord is laying aside, grasping for more, and clamoring instead to be a first-string foot-washer. What marks us is seeking the good of others regardless of cost to self. Just as Jesus did for us. And this is how people will know we're Christians. They won't know us by our going to church or our reading our Bible or the clothes we wear or the words we say. They also won't know us by whether we wear masks or not, by who we follow online, or by our politics. They'll know us by how we love in the mask wearing in our online presence, in our politics. Now on one level, this is love for enemies. Jesus washed Judas' feet, didn't he? Jesus gave his life away for Judas, didn't he? He appealed to love, or in love, to Judas over and over and over again, didn't he? So love one another just as Jesus loved us includes our enemies. And indeed, Matthew 5, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
wow, this is hard stuff. We usually demonize and antagonize, or we simply skip over our enemies, those that hurt us, those who betray us or reject us. I know for me, when relationships go south, it's so easy to simply turn to hate for the other person or to simply ignore the other person, to skip over that person. But what would it look like instead to love just as Jesus loves in those situations, to seek the good of that person who hurt us, who hurt me, At the very least, I think it includes being respectful, being fair-minded, praying for them, maybe even offering bread to them. On another level, though, this also, this love just as Jesus loves, includes within the church which also might include our enemy. But Jesus says, love one another, and he's speaking specifically to his disciples. Love one another just as I love you. So when visitors enter a church, they should respond with, see how they love one another. See how they're ready even to die for one another. We are ready to die for one another, aren't we? Nothing so draws a broken and fractured world than a community that displays radical and genuine love. A just as Jesus kind of love among its members. Now what is amazing to me is that this teaching is so important to Jesus, he's going to repeat this command two more times in this section, in this upper room discourse. So we'll have more time to talk about this this, uh, new commandment. At this point though, I want to transition to our sharing time. And uh, we're going to have some sharing about a person who lives this new commandment as good as anyone I know. Um, and so I'm going to call up Ann Henderson. Where's Ann? Come on up, Ann and Brenda. I'll bring it, I'll bring it over. Well, you might be wondering who this person is. (laughs) Drum roll. (laughs) Well, 
we would like to invite Sharon Coleman up, our women's pastor. Sharon, I want you to know that Esther wanted to be here this morning and couldn't be, but you have created teamwork, and we have many women happy to be here for you. Thank you. So, so Sharon has been our women's pastor since 2009, and as she retires, she's, a def she's her defining mark, like her Lord Jesus, is love for us. I'm sure many of you here have stories of how Sharon has loved you, and I encourage you to share those with her. Two weeks ago, Sean exhorted us to remember that the foot-washing Lord loves us and gave himself up for us. And in response, empowered by the Spirit, we are to follow his lead and serve, serving others. Sharon has followed her foot-washing Lord's lead and serving us. She is indeed a first-string foot-washer <laughs> and a person of the towel, and so that she remembers that. And one example of how Sharon loved the church family that served the body has been through all the women's events and hospitality. Over the years, all the retreats, the R&Rs she planned, and the special events she hosted, some in her own backyard, <laughs> provided space for us to connect with each other and to be <clears throat> encouraged in our own walk with God. Sharon, these flowers represent the beauty of those times and places and the beauty of the relationships that have bloomed throughout these years. <clears throat> but Sharon's ministry didn't just touch large groups among the PBCC body. She also ministered to individuals and uh, uh, to individual members of the church one-on-one, -on -one, counseling through various life situations, visiting in hospital rooms. I was one of them, you know, that uh, she visited when Robert was in the hospital more than 12 years ago. And she upholded many of us through our prayers and phone calls, through your prayers and phone calls, in Revelation 21, we have the promise that one day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But until then, God uses his servants to be his hands and feet, washing our feet and wiping our tears. And through Sharon, God has given us glimpses of heaven and on earth, extending his love and comfort to us in our times of sorrow and the trials. So Sharon, you know what's next? <laughs> Here's a dry handkerchief for you to use as you continue to wipe tears with your friends. Thank you. I don't need this. 
Actually, if you know Sharon, she really does need that. So. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so Sharon not only has a heart to encourage and equip each of us to serve as individuals, but also to learn how to serve as a team. And actually in the shower this morning, I thought it's actually not even a team. It's really as a family, as God planned for us to think of one another as brothers and sisters. She's helped many of us serve together on retreats. Reflection and relationship are in our events. Summer fellowships and studies and various other women's Bible studies throughout the year. And on Sunday mornings too, I'm pretty sure she's worked with uh, a group of you to provide like life together and other such events. So serving together becomes a place where Sharon teaches us by her own life and model how to encourage and appreciate and challenge and support, enjoy and pray for one another. And so with a team theme, <laughs> your own cap. <laughs> I was trying to think of a, a family, uh, Prop might have been a laundry basket, but I didn't bring that. So. <laughs> and one of the other big areas Sharon was invested in was women's Bible study. And Sharon started uh, as a participant back, back in the 90, uh, late 90s. And then she came on a WBS leadership with Marilyn Catlock, and they led us for four years before she continued to be involved in, uh, with Bible, uh, uh, as the women's pastor. But she continued to be involved with the women's Bible studies when she became the women's, women's pastor. So. And you know, if you are a woman Bible study leader, you always got a binder at the beginning of the year. <laughs> so this is, So this binder is for the decades of Bible study Sharon was involved in teaching us, supporting countless small group leaders and providing direction and guidance each year for us. And I had the personal privilege and joy of working together with Sharon for decades. <laughs> You have supported, encouraged, and cheered us on in our WBS ministries. And you have provided lots of behind the scenes support for us. And um, we really appreciate you, Sharon. Thank you. So you might wonder why the binder's empty. So even though you're retiring from your official title as women's pastor, you're still going to be a part of our body, and God's still going to use all your gifts to build us up together. But there's no pressure, except we would love to have you join us together in the women's Bible study and <laughs> add that one to your shelf full of women's Bible study binders. Mm, so, definitely. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you both. So... Um, We'd like to invite the elders up that are here to pray for Sharon and give thanks for her. Thank you. Too much. Love you. 
Thank you, Anne and Brenda, for these wonderful illustrations of the just as Jesus love that Sharon has shown our body for the past 17 years. As a shepherd and pastor, by washing our feet through hospitality, through comfort and wise words, and through care for the entire body. As an elder, it was a privilege to walk alongside Sharon over the past year. We would meet every couple of weeks to talk and to pray for this body. And one thing stands out for me from these discussions is Sharon's shepherd's heart. A shepherd cares for the entire flock, not just for part of the flock, and not just for a few favorite sheep. <laughs> Every decision that's made impacts the body in different ways, and I appreciate the many times where Sharon stopped to consider the whole body. Sharon's shepherd's heart comes through our Lord, comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, and from this just as love that we saw Jesus demonstrate in the upper room with his disciples. Sharon, you will be sorely missed in official capacity as a pastor at PBCC, and we're looking forward to seeing how God will fill the binder and to see how he continues to use you and Jim to minister and shepherd our body. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Sharon and her gracious and faithful service at PBCC for her hospitality, for her words of grace and truth, for her shepherd's heart, for her leadership during staff meetings and words of comfort, and for wisdom that comes from you. Lord, we thank you that Sharon and Jim will have more time to pour into their children and grandchildren and pray for the seeds that will be planted during this precious time together. Lord, we thank you that Sharon and Jim are still gonna be part of our body and we look forward to seeing how you will continue to use their gifts to build up this body. Thank you for the example that Sharon is. Lord, may we each reflect the just as Jesus love that we see in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now receive this benediction from John in one of his letters. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Little children, moving forward, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, through the spirit of the living God who is with us and in us. Amen. And go in peace. <laughs>